few clubs in world football as recognizable as Milan and Inter. Both instantly conjure up images of the grandeur of Italian football's glorious past. No other city in the world are there two such successful teams. Well, since uh, Roberto Mancini didn't call me up to uh, uh, play for Italy here in the upcoming European qualifiers, I'm here uh, with you again for another edition of Serie A Sit-Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is and always at the highest level. I am Frank Crivello, uh, along with me as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. You didn't get a call up either, did you? I did not get a call up, Frank. Uh yeah, for good reason. I'm I'm fat and old and slow, so it's probably for better. But uh, yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm I'm older than you. I mean, I just I thought I'd get you know it was my birthday yesterday. I thought maybe I'd get a birthday present from uh, from Mancini and said, yeah, come along. Although I don't, I wouldn't run or or <laughs> or, or or do anything that requires any extraneous physical activity. Um, because uh, Lord help me, I played futsal last Tuesday night, and that was like the first time I got out and got a run in like that, playing in a in a little over a year. And I I, I walked around like an old man for a couple of days after that. So, um, <laughs> I would have been a wasted selection. So fortunately, he didn't take me. But uh, apparently, uh, uh, Mancini decided to waste a couple of selections, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but how about you? Things are good. Yeah, things are good. Things are busy, but things are very good. I'm not going to complain. And uh, we had we had some good games this weekend. I'll just put it at that. How many goals? My gosh, um, forty-two. Could, I think at last 40, I counted forty-two. Uh, yeah, we just we had to get the abacus out this time. So yeah. so we got a lot to review, um, and we're 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 pretty jam packed here. But we do have a guest to help us break down uh, Darby della Madonina. He is the author of the Interlegend series on Sempre Intercom, and he's a full-time contributor on the Studio Inter podcast. Uh, he is uh, earning his first cap here tonight on the Serie A sit-down, and we say benvenuto to Critty Smith. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. It's finally great to be on the sit-down and get that call-up, uh, that elusive call-up. fantastic to be here. Would we, we, you think this was elusive? Have you been... Have you been going behind the scenes and screaming, why haven't I been on this podcast yet? Is that what you've been no, doing? No, <laughs> no, but I've been, I, I don't understand. I've been on the Shalkit podcast and, uh, you, you know, I was just, you know, I just, uh, I, li- I like talking a little bit of culture. So, uh, no, I'm just, uh, we blame Nima. No, we blame Nima. Well, you <laughs> yeah. know, it, it, it's 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 a matter of convenience because Nima has now big timed us and has gone in and done his own podcast with uh, Chloe and John, who are also past guests with us. So, I, I guess we needed another interperson, and of course, also, also because we're doing this on a Monday night uh, North America time, and that's maybe a little late for Nima. So, although I'm sure I, he's awake, I'm sure he's I, I'm yeah, somehow I, something tells me he's awake. I have tweeted at this particular hour and have come and 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 to my astonishment got a response from Nima immediately. Yes. Um, you know, so uh, so there might be some there might be some truth to that, but no, the uh, but nonetheless, uh, we had Nima uh, on for the uh, the first go around of the Derby della Madonina. We have Critty now to break down uh, uh, things from the second Derby della Madonina. So, Richard, why don't you uh, take it away? 
Yeah, we were hoping that uh, if we changed it up and brought in someone else from Semper Inter that we could uh, get a better result, but uh, apparently that didn't <laughs> happen. Um, but before we get into the game, really, I got to get something off my chest. Frank, you went to the Milwaukee Bucks game instead of watching your beloved Milan. You care more about Giannis and some guy in the NBA than your beloved Milan? I can't believe you're my co-host. Okay, this was, it was my son Anthony's <laughs> first Bucks game. Okay, and let me tell you something right now, Richard. Your boy is going to get to an age where he's going to want to go and see a Washington Capitals game. Okay, or, uh, you know, and uh, it is going to conflict with a Milan game and maybe a very big Milan game at that. And guess what? You're going to the Capitals game with your son. Oh. Dad's around the world. Listening to this podcast, know that. Okay. Uh, Richard, he, he, scored, he, scored, he, scored, he scored 52 points. I mean, the yeah, guy, he my scored son a got high, to so. go. Yeah, my son got to go and see Giannis score 52 points in his first time going to a Bucks game. I mean, you know, I, I, and uh, I'll, I'll take that. And uh, there's going to be plenty of pl- there's going to be plenty of other derbies for Milan to win. Curdy, last derby, uh, he gave me he gave me shit for uh, going to watch Rain, Wayne Rooney's debut with uh, with DC United. So I that's a legitimate. Be- that's a legitimate beef. Okay. No, <laughs> I think soccer. that is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a legitimate hey, well. beef. Oh, Wayne Rooney's my. debut with the Washington DC United. Well, that's uh, that Rich that's, deb- that's, it, wasn't, that's, it wasn't even his debut. It was it, it was last game of the season. That's what it was. Yeah. Anyway, this, this uh, podcast is. I, I'd go see Giannis over Rooney any day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, back to the derby that matters. Two teams uh, in uh, opposite forms coming to this one, and really, you know, coming into derby, yeah. you can throw out form out the window. Um, you had the Interisti fans who were fearing for the worst as their team has been up and down in recent weeks. And then you had Milanisti who had, uh, their team had probably one of been the hottest teams in the league in 2019 and they were dreaming of a repeat of that 2001 derby, 6-0, startling in that derby. But, um, you know, I want to say before the, we get to the game, it's, this is, this is one of the best derbies I've seen in years. It, I mean, it was probably as good as, you had mm-hmm. probably go back to the Mourinho and Ronaldinho days to see a derby that was this good, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, we had everything in this game, and this game started off with a bang. And really, you know, the the, the TFOs, as always in this derby, are such such prevalent. Um, you had Inter uh, honoring a fallen Curva member, and then Milan with the Hellboy TFO there. So they were there, they were ready. And obviously, in this game, um, Inter Milan were ready. Now they kicked it off really quick, three minutes in. Uh, Mateus Vecino, he starts to play off, gets it off to Ivan Pedisic. Pedisic with a nice cheeky pass over to uh, Latura Martinez, who hits it back in the center, and Vecino uh, finishes it off just like that. Critty one nothing, opening the match. That could not have been a better start for you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vecino continues his run, and I think he was a little bit surprised that he was uh, the one who ended up being re- receiving the ball back uh, directly back from Martinez. It looked a little bit. Um, it, it was. It looked like it was a rehearsed play. Like it was like, okay, this is uh, you know, uh, this is what we, this is what we did in practice all week. But at the same time, Vecino looked like he was almost surprised. Um, he, his legs kept moving. I mean, because normally he stops this run and he just sits there. Vecino, one of those guys that is so up and down, and he's the one after the game that says, you know, Inter's got to be more consistent. I'm like, dude, you're one of the most inconsistent players on the team. Some weeks I want to choke you, and some weeks I want to put you on my shoulders and, <laughs> and parade you around town. Uh, yeah, 1-0 to Inter, three minutes in, and uh, yeah, we're off to the races. Uh, fantastic start for the uh, Nerazzurri. Frank, uh, this is not the start Gattuso wanted, obviously. Um, we, we've seen Inter has been like a wounded animal in, in, in the last few weeks. 
Um, if anything, we, we thought Milan would start off like this. And, uh, you know, to see um, Inter and Vecino get off on the board real quick, it had to put a, a shock into the system right away. Surprising to see Milan defensively so disconnected. Um, uh, when you consider how that how they've defended over the last several weeks, you see them tight, uh, you see them compact, you see them relatively balanced. And, you know, I think the way Inter orchestrated that goal was very well done. I mean, Perisic came all the way over towards the right-hand side, um, not all the way over to the left flank, but he linked up there, um, and then the ball gets crossed in. I mean, it, it, they, Inter overloaded that side, so all of, you know, Milan it chased entirely. Uh, and then when the cross came in, Martinez was 1v1 with Musacchio, out jumped him, uh, Donnarumma ball chased, and then, you know, everyone was just casual in following the play, in particular Romagnoli. That where that ball dropped is where Romagnoli needs to be, and uh, he he was just hesitant enough, and Vecino pounced on it. And you give credit to Vecino there for being opportunistic and taking his chance. Yeah, absolutely, and and it was a, a, a you know Inter they they brought something. Spalletti you know called out the team and said, "I want to see a performance in the derby." He actually showed them uh, highlights from the first derby earlier this year to kind of get him pumped up pumped up for the game and. Inter were ready for this. Spalletti was ready. I mean, he he got he caught Gattuso napping in the first half. Uh, Inter pretty much put it to Milan. Critty, you know, it, the first half only ended one nothing, but that was fortunate because you guys could have scored at least three more goals in that first half. It just you guys were nonstop wave after wave, constant pressure that Milan hasn't really seen all season. Yeah, I think that I put a tweet out something around halftime about it being. Uh, 3-0 to Inter uh, could have easily been 3-0 at the very least too. Uh, a number of good chances in the first half. And yeah, it's it, it was a kind of a surprising thing because on Semper Inter's uh, podcast, Studio Inter, we, we talked about uh, Spalletti not, quote-unquote, falling into Gattuso's trap. And that was the main thing we did not want to see is that Spalletti uh, has a tendency sometimes to get his tactics completely 180 from where they should be. And uh, I, I might reference uh, the Eintracht Frankfurt match, uh, you know, uh, in, in that particular aspect of things. Um, but this uh, this time he got it completely right. And that brings a second fear to mind, which I thought, you know, back, back in August against Torino on match day two, he did the exact same thing. He interplayed 45 minutes of outstanding, almost error free football and then came out in the second half completely deflated. It looked like somebody uh, had, had switched the uh, the kits with them. And sent out, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Palermo or somebody like that to play as Inter in the second half. And, yeah, so that's why that was my big worry uh, going into halftime was how long is this uh, positive wave of momentum going to last? Uh, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Inter had a number of chances, played very fluid football. That's one of my main gripes this season is they have not they played with almost no fluidity at times. And it, it, the, the, the offense stalls out, passes, uh, crosses not reaching their man, uh, you know, it, it, not enough not enough bite to it, not enough angle, not whatever it is that they're, they're, they're enters, enters passing crosses, just sloppy. And that was anything but the case uh, yesterday evening in Milan. It, it was fantastic almost in every aspect. Saw very few errors in the first half. Frank, we usually say that, uh, you know, Gattuso's big issues are usually substitutions and, and tactical. He's been pretty good. Except, though, you know, we've talked with Nima at length about how in these derbies he tends to get it wrong. And he said he definitely got it wrong this first half. And we'll get more to how, how bad he gets in the rest of the game. But um, it started out poor. I mean, Paqueta, while he had a great shot off in the first half, he was pretty non-existent. Uh, majority of the team was. While Bakayoko was one of the better players 
on the night for Milan. He was disjointed. He was supposed to be the defensive midfielder, and he was just all over the place. Milan just looks scatterbrained. Um, what did you make of that first half from the Milan's perspective? I mean, obviously, Lucas Paqueta would come off at halftime, and uh, Castillejo would come on because Gattuso had enough, and he needed something to change. But what did you see? Um, I, I saw. I just saw a disjointed Milan in the first half like everybody else did and i think that that early goal set the tone for that to happen um you know i think that uh, when you when you prepare for a match like this and you consider the at least the winning form that milan have been in they've had some games here where um you know they haven't been as dominant or as fluid with the ball um but they have found ways to scratch out results uh i you know it's they just they they give up the goal and they're just they're just kind of all over the place. It's almost as if they it's almost as if they were in a panic, and um, you know it just kind of in their mannerisms. It was interesting the first half stats. The possession was dead even fifty fifty. I mean, Inter just did a hell of a lot more with it and yeah. and deserved to be up by more than a goal. Um, so you know defensively they were having issues because everybody's just you know chasing shadows compared to how organized, how tight, how compact they've been in recent weeks. Um, you know, looked nothing like the team that defended really well for long periods in the win over Atalanta at, uh, in, in Bergamo or uh, the 180 minutes of uh, of clean sheet against Napoli, uh, first the league and then the cup. Um, you know, n- none of that showed up there in the first half and we're lucky to go into the dressing room only one nil down. Uh, and then going the other way, um, you know, I, I, you know, I see a lot of Pianta getting a lot of sticks saying, you know, it wasn't a very good derby for him. Well, what do you want him to do? What do you want him to do? He's not getting the ball. So, you know, he's not getting in positions, you know, and some of that's on him. He's got to get into dangerous positions. And I think some of his running was pretty good, but he's not getting service. And, uh, you know, I think we can talk about some players that are, that are culprits as a result of that. Yeah. The, the team, the team did not play well. A lot of the players, like you mentioned, you know, uh, Paqueta is one of them. If you look at the defense, uh, Muzakio and Muzakio was playing pretty bad with the ball. Uh, Romagnoli was all over the place. Ricardo Rodriguez was doing inexplicable stuff defensively. He got a yellow card in the 32nd minute, I believe. Um, is, the whole team from front to back was just not obviously Suzo is inexistent, inexistent because uh, he just he never shows up in these games lately. <laughs> We've talked about that before. Um, but yeah, it just it was they were shocked and they didn't know what to do and they needed halftime to be there because. I, I begged the question at halftime. I said, you know, Spalletti did amazing in the first half. Now it's Gattuso's turn to, to try to counter that. Would he be able to do that, or would Inter continue on their dominance and, and pull away from this? And, um, you know, the start of the second half, it almost seemed like it was going to be more of Inter and, and a lot of Inter. Uh, in the 51st minute off a, um, a, a, a training ground uh, set piece off the corner kick, uh, DeVry with a wonderful header, he gets a goal. Uh, interrupt two nothing just like that. I mean, it was a wonderful header, pretty by uh, Devry, um, and nothing that the, the goalkeeper could have done on that. Maybe he could have, but great play all all the way around. Great set piece. Um, but you had to be out, you had to be ecstatic two nothing at this point. Yeah, I'm ecstatic at this point, and you know it's funny. I think it was Skriniar actually in the first half that he missed one that was very similar to that. Yeah, he just yeah. he, he puts it just wide. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's one right there because uh, uh, Donnarumma had no shot to get it. So it would have been uh, placed neatly into the bottom right corner of the goal. Uh, this time, uh, DeVry, uh, he, he puts it exa- you know, uh, opposite of the keeper. Just nothing that Donnarumma could have done on that. Uh, so it's 2-0. 
Uh, and this is this is the, the, the Milan looks completely disjointed. You guys have said that a number of times. And if you think about this from a from an aspect of a team that hasn't lost a Serie A match since 2018, they they hadn't lost since December. And you think about Inter that comes in this match eight eight games so far in the second half of the season, 11 points. I mean, they looked like it looked like uh, Milan were wearing black and blue, and it looked like Inter were wearing black and red. I mean, it looked it was a complete reversal. And I know that sometimes you say. You throw records out, but this was so uncharacteristic of Milan and the form they've been on. So at this point, I'm thinking 2-0. Yeah, it's great. But you knew that Milan had a run in them. There was there was going to – something was going to change. If not Gattuso, the players had too much pride. There's too much individual talent on this team. And we all know Pazza Inter. So you know that, this, that, that Inter's going to have at some point a 10- to 15-minute rough patch. It happens every single match at least once. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. Milan is going to get back into this game. And as you forgot to tell us, it probably happens exactly that way. Well, that's a perfect segue there. Uh, Milan do get a uh, free kick opportunity, and they start to get in possession of the ball. They get a free kick in, in the opposition's half. Uh, Celanolu gets a wonderful kick in, um, and probably one of the best players of the game for Milan, despite how disjointed he played. Timeo Bakayoko, with a great header, gets his first goal for Milan, uh, gets him back in the game, and just like that, Milan almost like came came back instantly. They they they. They were uh, re-energized, Frank, uh, with that goal by uh, Bakayoko. And it was a deserved goal by him. He's been one of the best players for Milan over the last several months. And for him to finally get off the snide in the derby, as Ronaldinho did back in uh, 2008, um, it's it's great to see. Well, I thought Bakayoko was the best player for Milan in this game. Um, Definitely, me too. uh, You know, and then I would say that uh, Chalhanola was probably probably behind him. Um, And I think that... uh, I thought Musacchio was decent. So I think that those were the three that I'd probably point out as the guys that were, were performing the best for Milan in this game. Um, you know, we've talked about Milan and we've talked about how it, they're a team that, you know, has, has gone through this unbeaten run, but in the process they've grown up as a team and they've grown up as individual players. Um, and they've, they've shown some maturity and, and this is what you want to see as a Milan fan. Uh, that you didn't see in the past. I mean, there's a lot of in, lot of examples over the last seven years, seven or eight years, where a Milan team is 2-0 down. You can just, all right, write them off. Um, you know, Montella's team for a little bit, you know, for somehow somehow found their way from two goal deficits in, in a handful of games and, and found their way back into matches. But that was about it during that period. So you wanted to see, hey, what are these guys made of? How can they, re- how, how will they react? How will they respond? And uh, you know, they score on this free kick and it was game on from there. It really it really set the tone for the rest of the game because this was something that was dominated by Inter all the way. Um, it was a Milan team that looked non-existent. It looked disjointed, as I said earlier. And this goal energized them and uh, and started kicking them on. Yeah, this game uh, certainly had its ebbs and flows and this one was starting to tilt towards Milan's favor. And the one, the one, and you guys may disagree with me on this, but the one, one downside of the whole derby, I think, was... The officiating by by Gita, um, and we'll, he he gets into it in the 67th minute where uh, it was a penalty, it was a foul, uh, no doubt about that. On I, I believe it was uh, Politano, was Politano, Politano, yeah, yeah, yes, right, yes, right yes. at the edge of the box, he gets he gets tripped up by Castillejo, uh, he goes down, and Guida does the splits while he's calling the penalty at the same time, pulls his groin, whatever. But um, Guida, I thought was inconsistent at times he made some he made definitely correct calls but other times where you were left, left a few head scratching like why didn't he call that or why did he call that it just 
he 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 almost tried to disrupt the, the flow of the game a little bit too much, in my opinion. But that was it. I mean, the game was the game was mar- marvelous. I can't speak English. Um, but uh, the penalty is called nonetheless. Um, what did you guys say? Do you guys both agree? Uh, inter, uh, Critty, I assume, since you're an Inter fan, you're going to say that it was definitely a penalty. Look, not just because I'm an Inter fan. If I'm looking at it as a neutral, and I've listened, oh my God, how many people have I listened to that are pundits talk about that play? It's pretty much, it's like 90% unanimous across the board. People thought it was a penalty. He's clearly in the box. Yes, he's making a, uh, he, he's, he's kind of doing a body feint away from the defender, but he's tripped up. He's still within the line. He's still, you know, it, it's it, the only thing where people are like, well, he's going away from goal, but he's not, he's, he's, he's not really going away from goal. He's, he's trying to create more space for himself. Dancing and so he's right to get around the guy and he gets tripped up, you know, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, if I'm, if, if, if I'm a, a you know Fiorentina fan watching this, I'm saying yeah, it's a penalty. I mean, uh, so so I I thought it was the right call. I'm not just saying that because uh, it's my team. And Frank, did you see it the same way after looking at all the replays? It, no, no problem with the call. Uh, big problem with Castellejo even coming back, trying to be part of the doing too much. The defending there. Um, you're two one down. Uh, sure, Politano is cutting in and, and and is finding some space in the penalty area. But when you take a look at everybody's position there. I mean, Politano has a shot at goal that I think Donnarumma is able to deal with unless Politano pulls off a worldie from there. Okay. So there's, there's no reason for Castellejo to even go back there and be part of that play. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that's where I was more, that was, that's where I was more frustrated with the decision. I wasn't frustrated with the call. I was frustrated with Castellejo's decision to come back, you know, and try and defend, you know, you're, you're two one down, stay in a position where when Milan can win the ball, they can get it out to you, okay? And you can start the count, and, and we and you got a head start on the counter, and you start to get numbers forward, and you put, you know, you put Inter in a situation, and and Castellejo is not in there to defend. He's in there to try to get it to create, to try to unbalance uh, defenses with his dribbling and with some of the things that he does. He doesn't have a real slick move that he hit that you know in his, you know in his, uh, you know in his locker, but. It's it's not one where it's necessary for him to be part of it. I think the positioning of the players in the box were fine. Um, the only way Politano's scoring there is if he curls one up or ninety. Um, you know, just when I go back and I look at the replay, so it was a little bit of overzealousness from Castellejo that I just you know that you know, and then he ended up committing a foul. Uh, you know, I I thought the play was initially a foul for sure. I just didn't think it was in the box, and then I saw the replay, and I and I, and I, and I retracted that statement because. It's obvious he's in the box when he gets taken down. Um, the reaction by the captain for Milan was enough to warrant him a yellow card. Muzaki was lucky he didn't get a yellow card as well for putting his hands on the referee at the play. Yeah. Um, that was a yeah. play, that was a moment in the game where it was all Milan at that point. Um, and, you know, intercounter and they get a, they get a penalty. Upsteps Martinez. Uh, you know, everyone's wondering how he's going to do in the absence mm. of Icardi. Well, yeah. pretty, he steps up and he, he pounds that goal in uh, to give it to the 3 one lead. Let me say this, uh, th- this, this scenario, this is not your standard penalty when you're beating, uh, you know, someone like an Empoli and you're already up three nil and somebody fouls you in the 84th minute and, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo steps up casually and takes it. It's, it's not the same scenario. This is for a, this is like in basketball when you're trying to, to, to hit the, the, the two free throws to go ahead by four points. Right. So basically uh, assuring yourself of the win. Latar Martinez, a rookie for Inter. Last year, this time playing in Argentina, 
He comes in to replace a, his compatriot that is, you know, a, an international superstar, uh, 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 batshit crazy, but, you know, not, 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 <laughs> notwithstanding, he, he, certainly, he certainly is a great goal scorer. And so he's got everything riding on his shoulders. This, is, this, this man steps up, and I, like this, this a kid, really, he's still a kid. And I'm thinking to myself, my stomach's in my throat watching this because, you know, there could have, there was, you know, you've got Perisic, you've got some other guys that are experienced, that have, you know, and probably could live with the fallout from the Interisti should you miss this kick. But Lotaro, he comes up, and I'm thinking with Donnarumma, there's there's just something about it. I think Donnarumma's like, I, I, he's got the, the nerves. I, I thought he was in uh, Lotaro's head. And just the opposite. Uh, Donnarumma thought the ball was going right down the middle. Lotaro puts it just slightly to the left, and he's not, Donnarumma's not able to react in time. So, yeah, he buries it in there, puts the right power on it. Very safe. He didn't try to go too far because, uh, you know, it, you don't want to blow it. But at the same time, uh, what a moment for him. I, I, I know that he, he's trying to erase the shadow and the ghost of Mauro Riccardi and uh, scoring in this game, in this particular derby, in that scenario to put Inter up by two goals. Uh, what was that? The 60, what, what minute was that? So we have what, 25 minutes. Yeah. So about 20 minutes left to play. That was so huge. I cannot explain to you how big that was for his confidence and for that club. Yeah, no, that's well said. And, and it was a big moment. And, you know, the two players that we're not mentioning much in this game were, you know, both goalkeepers for these teams because both goalies, they actually stood up. They played really well in this game. Um, I thought too that Donnarumma was probably going to get a save in this opportunity because I wasn't sure how Martinez was going to do in the limelight, Frank. And but uh, um, Martinez, uh, he you know, give him credit. He did, he did, you know, keep the nerves and he he did get the yeah. goal. Yeah, it was a savable penalty. I'm going to say that though, uh, just just where the ball went, um, you know. So I mean, let me. I mean, let me just start with that because I think it was a savable penalty. And I think Donnarumma, you could just kind of tell from his body, he started to twitch to his left and that was just enough for the goal to be scored if he goes right all the way that's that that's not going in um because that ball was you know to Donnarumma's right center of his goal okay it wasn't a you know it wasn't put away in the side netting or anything like that and I and by no means Critty, I am not discounting Lotaro's efforts there scoring that goal sure uh, sure you know I you know that the position and where that ball was shot that is a savable penalty uh, I agree with that. Yeah, Donnarumma guessed wrong enough mm-hmm. for it to go in. Is the best yeah. way is the best way I can explain that. Now, my take on Lautaro Martinez, I, I, I honestly, and this is a hot take, I don't think Inter miss Icardi because I think Lautaro has put in a he has put in a tireless effort. I mean, we've gone through and we've talked about other games where you where we've gone over his statistics, the calorie game. I'm going to bring that up again. I mean, he did everything but score a hat trick in that game. Um, you know, he ended up with the one and he could have at least come away with three. Um, you know, he's shooting, he's getting in position, he's getting service. Um, you know, so as a striker in this system, he's done well. And I, th- I think the goal rewards him. Um, I talked about this, um, I was on podcast city. I was a guest on that last week. And one of the things that we all agreed on is said, you know, going into the Derby, uh, that goal that was taken away from him against Spall wrongfully, by the way, uh, really would have helped him um, and really would have launched him prior to this penalty. Um, but uh, but he took it. He, you know, well done. And I think Inter's fine with him. Um, I, I, I don't see a drop-off in how they're performing. Um, you know, 
at least in terms of what Spalletti's trying to accomplish, and and I thought that I thought that Martinez was very good in this game. He he had the uh, the penalty here. Uh, he had the little knockdown uh, header on the first goal, so he was very well involved here to the level that you would expect to see when he, as if Icardi was on the pitch. Hey Richard, if I can slide tackle in there just real quick uh, to kind of go along with uh, what Frank is saying. I agree 100% with what he's saying, uh, almost to the T. Uh, and and, and there's a, for a couple reasons. I, I agree with the spall, the goal that was taken away. If you look at the individual effort, though, that got to that point, it was brilliant. He, he, he chests it. He maneuvers it. He puts the ball right where he wants it on his foot, and bam, it's in the back of the goal. Um, and, and unfortunately, they obviously called it a handball. But um, there's three goals scored for Inter against Spall, three against Milan. So the last two Serie A matches, they scored six goals. They're starting to find the chemistry and starting to click as a unit in the post-Icardi era. Uh, whether he is a member of this club still or not, he is not actively playing, so they had to come up with a plan B. I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the inter-inconsistency, especially in the offensive side of the pitch, uh, in the opponent's final third in particular, um, where they were they were kind of – you know, scurrying to find anybody and everybody, you know, take, take a shot and just, just cross it in, see what happens. Just very harem scare them. And now they seem to have figured it out. And I think, um, not just the Politanos and not just these, uh, set pieces, but Lataro is becoming the guy now in the attack. They tried Keita Balde, uh, on Thursday against Frankfurt. Didn't work out that well. Lataro obviously had to miss that match. Uh, if he plays in that match, though, maybe a different outcome against Frankfurt. Could we'll, we'll never know, but um, definitely, definitely, Frank, you got that right. I think that Inter's starting to truly figure out their identity without Mauro Icardi. Well, if you look at the uh, statistics, it says you know with Icardi, they're probably I think they won eleven out of twenty games, and then with uh, Martinez leading the line, I think they won like six out of eight games or something crazy. So the, the statistics show that they're better with Martinez, and the team plays better, I think. They're less tra- dependent on Icardi, and they more try to spread. spread correct, correct. They they depend too much on num- number nine. That's the problem. Exactly. So, uh, Inter go up three one, and obviously something had to be had to be done by Milan's uh, viewpoint. And so Frank Kessie will be subbed off for Andrea Conti, and then some fireworks happened on the sidelines. I don't know if you you guys caught this, but yes, uh, yes, B- uh, Biglia, Biglia, yeah, Biglia and and Cassie got into it um, and had to be restrained <laughs> by their teammates. Apparently, Biglia said something to Cassie. Cassie didn't like it, and uh, anyway, Gattuso was the, the the most angry out of all this after the game. Uh, he said that was the most embarrassing part of the game. Not that they lost, is the fact that both those players lost their cool in such a big moment. So, um, but regardless, um, you know, Frank, you know what was, was said. You know what they're saying that he said though, right? No, so it's, it's being so it's being reported, I guess, uh, that he, that that uh, Bilias told Kessie to have some res- show some respect that he was uh, he was not showing respect. And um, later, when when Gattuso was asked about it, he 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 didn't know of it. So he said, "I'm going to let the two players they're going to they're going to respond. They're going to answer it." So I mean, he he wasn't uh, he wasn't even aware of of, of, of what, what they were saying. He said, "If I did hear what what he said to him, I would have intervened." So it's that was a, an unnecessary fiasco right there at the end there. I like how they made uh, he made both the players interview together at the end of yes, the game. Yes, yes, correct. Which is good. Correct, you want him to be on the same page. Yeah. Uh, but Frank, I thought the substitution of taking Kessie off and uh, instead of Suzo was an interesting one because I thought for sure when I saw Andrea Conti, it was going to be a swap for Suzo because Suzo was non-existent up to this point. Um, he showed up after the substitution, but um, I thought Kessie played a pretty 
uh, tireless game. I thought he was all over the place. He played right back when they had to, when they wanted to, needed him to. And um, I thought that was the wrong decision at the time. How did you feel with that substitution? I I I, I really hate to say this uh, because of the falling action with with some of the stories that are out there too. Kessie for me in this particular game was a lot of running and not a lot of substance. Right. Um, uh, you know, and uh, now I'm hearing stories that you know, and I don't know how true this is, and I don't know if it's being looked into, but I read a couple of blurbs that Inter Ultras were shouting racist chants toward Frank Kessie I now. Did, I did see stories about that. Um, and we've already gone uh, through this with, mm, with Cooley Pauly. I, ho- I, I hope not. I really hope not. Yeah, I, I I don't wanna I don't wanna overstep my bounds. I read a couple of blurbs. I don't know if it's true. You know, I'm gonna let you know <laughs> I I don't trust FIGC as far as I can throw them, but we're gonna let them look into <laughs> this and figure this out. So And uh, Asamoa plays for your team, by the way. Well that's just it. Exactly. I mean yeah, exactly. what are you what are you and accomplishing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What 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 are what exactly are they accomplishing if if that's the case? So yeah. Um, but no, I, 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 I thought this was a below average performance from Frank Kessie, uh, in this game. And I think that the idea was that to try to get some sort of, uh, get into some sort of a setup where, um, you know, you have Piontek and Cutroni together up front and you have, you know, a couple of what, you know, Chalhanolu can work from the middle, Suzo and Castalejo are wide, uh, Conti's providing some service from a wide area. So I think that, uh, you know, they were trying to get some. It almost looked like it was some sort of a four-four-two that they were trying to do, and they were trying to still. You know, Gattuso still thought that Suzo had something to offer in this game. So, um, you know, so he he has uh, he has stuck with them here. So, well, he wanted a reaction, and he got a reaction in the seventy-first minute. Uh, Suzo uh, with a cross into the box, finally a dangerous play by him. Uh, it goes off of D'Ambrosio, who chests it to uh, Handanovic, who makes a save on it, but it goes right to Muzakio, who puts it in the back of the net. Game on once again, 3-2. Uh, so just like that, Milan get back into the game, uh, and then Inter make their first substitution. They take off Marcelo Brozovic, is the guy who we failed to mention this game. There were mm. many doubts whether he was going to play in the game, and he played very well in this game, but he was obviously had tired legs. They took him off for Borja Valero. Um, Critty, tell us about, you know... Whoa. Yeah, I, he, Brozovic played well. I didn't, he did, he, I, maybe I'm being too harsh on him, but I can't remember one memorable thing he did. Well, as a defensive midfielder, you know, if you're not, if you're not being called upon, that means you're doing your job. Well, right? Galliadini, Galliadini was, Galliadini was, was, was far more impressive than Brozovic. Yeah. Uh, even with the head, he was rocking the headband. I mean, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the bloodstained headband, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Richard, you were going to ask me a question. I, I, I just, like, Brozovic, I was like, I had to, to get on, on well, that one. No, no, I was going to ask you how important it is to, for Inter to have a guy like Brozovic in the lineup. Uh, you know, he, he's such an important player for them, and especially when he does play well. But just to have him in the lineup, to have that threat of a, to, to shut down the opposition's best players, um, it's got to be a lift to your team, you know, before the match when you know that he's going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was a little skeptical of how, you know, what kind of impact he would have, barring the fact that he was kind of touch and go. Uh, when Brozovic plays well, he's one of the best uh, number sixes in Serie A. There's no doubt about that. And Spalletti obviously gets the most out of him uh, than any coach. I mean, we all know the historic story about him being on the way to the airplane to go to, I believe, Sevilla. And uh, they, 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 made a, they made a call 
to get him back to San Siro uh, to talk to uh, Spalletti. So, um, yeah, no, he's he, at his best. He is uh, an integral part of the Inter uh, starting eleven. But uh, on this day, I I thought appropriate take him off. Uh, I, I just didn't remember anything memorable that he did. Galliardini was running around. He was winning balls. He was. Uh, you know, uh, trying his best to keep the ball away from Bakayoko. Is, uh, you know, that, that's easier said than done. Great ball winner there for uh, Milan, for yeah. sure. Um, and he, he, he was all over Gagliardini. I mean, uh, if you look at the final sort of like between the 60th and the 80th minute, I remember just Gagliardini, just that headband, uh, running around the middle of the pitch like crazy and Bakayoko just chasing him. And, 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 and if he, if, you know, there was one particular uh, penalty, uh, excuse me, not penalty, a foul called against Bakayoko that was uh, all ball. I mean, he just a beautiful yes, tackle. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, but as a whole, I think Gagliardini was just more active and, and, and more involved in the game than Brozovic was. And I don't think that had anything to do with Brozovic particularly shutting his man down. I thought that was just more just kind of him being absent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, he did come off and Borjavler did come in. Uh, but Frank, this is when like Milan was trying to go for that counter punch, get that, get that. The game had three three written all over it, and Milan were trying everything, they were throwing everything with the kitchen sink at at, at Handanovic. Uh, Handanovic was the best player in my opinion for these last you know ten minutes of the game. Um, he was forced to make saves on Castillejo. Um, he was he was he wasn't there in the, in the right corner at the end of the game where Cutrone had a wonderful chance to score a game win game tying goal. Uh, Ambrosio made the save. I think it was. Curdy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yo, he did. He he put his he put his groin in the way, my friend. Mm, mm. <laughs> so Frank it, Milan showed up at the end, but it was a little too little too late. Um, Suzo waited till the 70th minute to show up. Gattuso didn't. It took them like 55 minutes to get into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank, what do you what do you see from Milan? I mean, yes, they lost, but. Um, they were fighting at the, they were fighting till the end. They, they were right there. They just missed it, Frank. Um, I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat this because it's a defeat. Um, but I think when you look at Milan's last 35 minutes of this game from the Bakioko goal onward, and yes, this is what you want to see from Milan in the Derby della Madonnina. The first Derby was brutal, was absolutely brutal. Um, they played like they, had no interest in trying to get anything out of it. Handanovic was hardly troubled. Handanovic had to work a lot harder uh, in this one, Richard. You're absolutely right. Um, And Inter's defense was challenged a lot more in this one, especially in those closing, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, That's what you want to see from Milan, but it it needs to be consistent. You know, um, Suzo needs to be consistent. If if Suso and he wants to get paid and he wants all this other stuff, okay, you know something, you know something, and, I'm, and I've had it, okay. Do this against somebody like Inter. Do this against somebody like Juventus. The the you know, and I got in, I got into it with somebody on Twitter about how great he is. He's got five goals and eight assists, and yeah, you know what? He got three of those assists against Kievo. All right, he got, you know, two of those goals are against Genoa. One home, one away. He scored and got an assist against Sampdoria when Sampdoria came to the San Siro. And when some, if, if, if Sampdoria had to play 38 away matches, they'd be in the bottom three. Okay. <laughs> um, so you want to know what his you want to know what his record is against the teams around him in the top six in terms of goals and assists? One assist at Napoli, first game of the season. That's it. So, and he played well in the last 20 minutes. But if he wants to be the man. 
This is a game where he needs to step up and take this game by the scruff of the neck. Do you want to know who the man was in this game? Lautaro Martinez. He made people forget about Moro Icardi today. Mm-hmm. He got to that He got to that cross and headed it in a pass so Vecino can score it. He stepped up and took the penalty and scored. He's taken the reins. Suzo should take a page out of Lautaro Martinez's book and, and start reading. Okay, if he wants to, if he really wants to be the man and he really wants to get paid, stop cutting in all the time. All right, everybody knows you're going to do it. So that's how they position themselves. That's how defense is organized when Suzo has the ball. You know, use your fullback going around you once in a while and give it to him and let him cross the ball in. He'll get service to Piontic since Suzo doesn't seem interested in doing that. Has Suzo assisted a Piontic goal yet? No, I think it's in all like Paqueta and Chalanolu, it seems like. Paqueta, Chalanolu, and, and, and fullbacks, Rodriguez. Right. Okay. So, you know, if he's going to be the man, he's got to start taking things by the scrap of the neck, and he's not doing that. All right? And it's it's shameful that a player that that, that wants to be the guy, you know, here in the – doesn't show up and – it doesn't turn up until the last 20 minutes of a match. Okay? So that has to happen. Um I thought Chalhanola was pretty good. I thought the team, this is what you want to see from Milan. You want to see some fight. You want to see them play with some pride in a derby. You fall behind 2-0, get up and try to keep fighting and try to get something out of it. And Milan could have gotten something out of this. They would have stolen a point if they did, because I think Inter was just better over the course of the 90 minutes when you look at the body of work of both teams. Okay? So um, the team grew a little more just because they responded well after being 2-0 down. But... They can't get – they've got to react better to giving up an early goal. You know, it's a psychological thing, and it might be cliche. Got to treat it like it's nil-nil. Get back up and start over again. So, you know, they didn't do that. You know, so some of that immaturity is still there with this team. They're, they're growing in spots. They show that late in the second half. But the rest of the first half is a symbol of the growth that still, you know, has to be achieved with this team. Yeah, that's that's very that's very true, and uh, uh, there are definitely positives to take away from this game. There's also certainly a lot of negatives, and and you can talk about that whether it's coaching or or players not stepping up. Um, speaking of players not stepping up, and and I want to talk and give a, a group uh, some credit that I think they deserve, uh, and this is going to go towards you, Critty. Um, you know, coming into this game, Milan had one of the stingiest defenses in Europe in 2019. Um, but in this game, it was Inter, and in particular, Skriniar and De Vrij, who kept Piantic basically in their back pocket. Um, Piantic was non-existent all game. He wasn't getting the services, of course, but he also wasn't freeing himself up because, in large part because these two big center backs were doing a tremendous job on him. Um, coming into this year when, when we knew that De Vrij was going to go to Inter, we thought it could be, it could be a strong defense with Skriniar, De Vrij, Miranda, and it hasn't really panned out this season that much, but this game they uh, they shut down uh, one of the hottest uh, strikers in Syria and uh, give them some credit where credit is due. Absolutely, uh, there's a lot of transfers that Asilio made that I am not particularly fond of, but with the Skriniar and Devry additions, he got that completely right, and it was uh, a, a position that Inter desperately needed help at. Well, they need help at left back and right back as well, but you know, Hey, one thing at a time, right? Uh, so that you, you take care of the center, the central defense first. And, and he certainly did that. Uh, this is, um, this is no small task to keep Piatek, uh, you know, out of the back of the net. And the, 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 the one mo the one movement that I remember him getting his, uh, his best shot on goal was that kind of back heel flick, 
that he put just over the goal. It was amazing uh, athleticism there displayed on that particular play. Uh, if he scores that, that's probably uh, UEFA's goal of the year. Uh, I, I can't think of any, especially <laughs> in that particular in that particular match with those. Uh, that would have, I believe, that may have been three three. That might have been the equalizer. I'm not. I don't remember exactly what point game it took place, but uh, uh, this he, the heel flick goal uh, or attempt on goal by by um, uh, Piatek that was uh, just unbelievable and uh that was pretty much it that's the that's the most memorable thing i can i I remember him doing uh yeah they 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 had they had his number and yeah my hat's off to skinnier and devry devry also of course uh on the uh the 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 play that put interrupt two nil so he contributes uh enter enter with the variety of goal scorers they had yesterday uh you had one midfielder you had one center forward and you had one defender you can't ask for more than that what a complete game well, if you, if you took, ask the odd makers, who, who's the most likely players to score? I mean, Bakayoko, Muzakio, Vecino, DeVry, those aren't names that you would normally hear, uh, right. you would think would be scoring in a game of this magnitude. But usually it's the players like this that do show up in these big, big games because the other guys cancel each other out. So, but something, uh, something Frank mentioned a minute ago is, you know, usually when you have a guy like Mauro Riccardi, he plays, this is a very unique scenario. You usually don't, uh, uh, have your wife run her mouth and, and you act like a baby to the point where you're, <laughs> You're uh, you're 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 benched. You get stripped of the captaincy and get benched. Uh, then you fake an injury so you can make it go towards the towards the end of the season with this uh, sitting out process. It takes you know it would be a summer where you then sell Mauri Cardi and then you find your replacement. Inter's already got his replacement and he's learning on the job. Inter's already six months ahead of this coming September or August. When the Serie A kicks off the 2019-2020 season, with their replacement already in place and in, and in good form, so uh, yeah, I mean that's that's something not to be not to be taken for granted if you're Inter as well is the fact that you know normally you would bring on Mar- Martinez next season and say okay now you're the man he's already the man and and as Frank said he's putting the team on his back when it counts the most. So I want you guys to to look at each other's team and see where these teams go from here. So Frank. Um, where do Inter go from here? This is a big win for them, obviously, the Darby, Frank. Uh, but do they do they continue to ride this, or are they still? Because I mean, coming into this match, you know, usually the Darbys, you can't, you have to ignore the Darbys because they are a beast in themselves. But Frank, you know, coming into this one, Inter were all over the place on the map, and they weren't they weren't showing consistency whatsoever. Wow, loaded question. Um, Happy Monday. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm one. I, I, I'm one to believe that I think Inter have been fine, uh, and I've and I've I've already ranted about this. Um, Inter Inter are fine with Lautaro Martinez. Uh, they're fine with the setup. It's 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 pretty much looking like it's plug and play. You don't Icardi's not needed. You know, can they be consistent? I mean, you're taking a look at some of these results all of a sudden. Um, you know, they beat a pesky Spal team two nil. Um, they had that loss at Cagliari, which we, we've talked, I mean, I hate to get repetitious, but that, that trip to Sardinia is hard. Okay. Um, and, uh, y- you know, so they've, they've had that happen. They've, they've won the Derby here and now it sets up for them. And it's going to be interesting because there's an interesting mix of games coming up for Inter coming up. They, they host Lazio next. Um, and then they go to Genoa, then they host Atalanta, then they go to Frosinone, then they host Roma and Juve. So that's their end of March uh, through April, um, you know, in the, you know, in the run-in, as they say. So um, it's important to get this three points for Inter because of the list of fixtures that they have ahead of them. 
Um, at Frosinone should be a win for them. Um, at Genoa should be a win for them, but Genoa are an interesting proposition under Prandelli all of a sudden. And then uh, the other four games that I mentioned, this is a pretty brutal haul for them going forward. Um, if Inter get a Champions League place, they do it because of the Derby double. Okay, that, that they can look at those two games and say, this is what got us through to keep a top four spot and be back in the Champions League next season. Yeah, no, 100% on that. And I, and I too think they Inter are going to be a fine. Uh, you know, this, mm. this game will certainly boost them. But, but Critty, I want I want you to put on the red and black glasses. Okay. You know, do, does this a setback for Milan? Because Milan were playing so well coming into this matchup. And then they lose a game of this magnitude. Do you see them coming back to ground just a little bit? Or are they going to continue on their ways and feed off of the momentum they had at the end of the game? No, I think that they're going to feed off the momentum they had at the end of the game. I think that they, I think they had a a, a complete uh, lapse of focus and maybe even maybe even um, overconfidence. Maybe they they underestimated Inter because Inter were. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, so. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, you start to believe your own hype because there wasn't a single person who covered Serie A that thought Inter was going to win that match. Not Nima, not myself. Nobody, uh, even Mo, who does the previews for Semper Inter, had us losing. And he's the most positive guy you could possibly imagine. He has us beating Juve 5 0 any given day. And, and he had us losing this match. So, uh, you know, I think Milan just got very overconfident, settled into the game finally, like as you said, about 55, 60 minutes in. And then they started to play Milan football. I, I think they come back from this. However, I will say, listen, listen. Juventus is coming up soon. Lazio's coming up soon. Uh, you know, Parma, they can be, you know, they can be a little bit feisty. And then you have Fiorentina uh, a couple of match days before the end. It's not the easiest of slates for Milan either. But that being said, I think that they will beat the, the teams that they should beat. I think in, I think Milan comes back from this. They'll 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 win. They'll beat Sampdoria next week. Uh, I think that's uh, you know probably a two-one. I believe that's uh, in Sampdoria, but I still think Milan. This this is a team that's lost one match, and that's this past week since December. It's their first league loss of 2019. They're not going to go anywhere. I still have them finishing above Inter in third place. I don't think that this makes any difference except for one week in the table. I think that Milan comes right back takes that spot back in a week or two, and they'll stay there. It's whether Inter can hold on to fourth. That's the big question. But I think Milan are safely in the Champions League, and I think that they will recover from this, and they will finish in the top three of the Serie A. Maybe even second. Maybe even second, depending on if Napoli cares. Ah, see, Frank, we're not the only ones who think like that. So um, I, I, there was a... Well, Napoli th- doesn't care about Serie A. Napoli's well, no. made that clear. No. They, 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 they don't... Uh, and they shouldn't. And they doesn't shouldn't. care. Yeah, it's, it's a done, done and dusted. But guess what? I mean, for Milan, big, big uh, momentum boost there if you can finish second. I mean, right now, it's, it's doable. You know, they're nine points back, but um, yeah, we don't know what Napoli's going to do in the final, final two or three months here. So, yeah, I, I think Milan, I think you guys are going to be in, in, in fine shape. I did. I was going to ask, you know, talk, bring up the, you know, the refereeing in the game and and Conti getting a red and it got changed to a yellow by VAR. But I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I'm going to go away from that. I want forget about that. I want to, you know, I wonder if I want to get for the, the unanimous from both of you guys. Do you guys both think that both Spalletti and Gattuso are not the guys who will lead the teams to glory to the next level? They're good enough for now, but they're not going to get them just quite over the hump. Do you guys both think that, Frank? You want to start? You want me to answer for both guys? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
for Gattuso, I, I, I really want him to do well because coming prior to coming to Milan, he took on some of the toughest jobs in world football. Yeah. You know, Palermo, uh, Sion in Switzerland, which is basically the Swiss Palermo. Uh, Crate in <laughs> Malakia, Malakia. Yeah, Crate in uh, Greece, where uh, you know he's he's managing a team uh, whose organization can't pay its players, and then in Pisa, who he got promoted, you know, and eventually, so he had, he has taken on some thankless, tough jobs prior to getting this prior to getting the Milan gig. Um, you know, so he has kind of a so he's been he's been you know I mean. I'm saying Gattuso has been hardened by coaching, and that's that's a very bold thing to say because I think he's already a pretty hard man to begin with. If anybody ever watched him play, yes. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I would like to see him continue. I understand if the board feels, hey, we this is as far as we're going to go with him. I don't know how much you can put this derby on Caduso. Like I said, an early goal conceded, a rel- uh, still a relatively young team out there, and I think it was a culture shock for them because they had been so good defensively to give up a goal the way they did, and they were disjointed, and it took them from minute three to minute 55 to finally regroup and get something going. Um, you know, I think that there's a credit to Gattuso here to making some adjustments and trying to make some substitutions to try to still squeeze a result out of it, even being two nil down. So you saw a little bit of growth with him as a coach. So I'd like to see him get it next season, but I also understand if the board have that sit down with him and say, look, I think you have taken this team as far as you, as far as you can take them. I think if we're going to get Milan even further, we're going to need to go in a different direction, but it's just, making sure they've got that guy that's going to do it. You know, I don't want Gattuso to be sacked for anybody. You know, let's make sure that somebody's lined up and ready to take this, that everybody's going to feel good about can lead Milan to the next, to the next level. As for Spalletti, um, it's, it's very difficult for me to, it's very difficult for me to say, um, I mean, the, the sharks are probably circling around him more than they are around Gattuso at this point. Um, he's, I think he's a very good manager. I think that there are issues with his team's mentality from, you know, through the years. I think that it's been more evident at Roma, uh, in his time at Roma than it has been at Inter. Um, I think he's learned a couple of things where he's been a little bit better at Inter, but I think this is going to be an, another issue where, um, maybe he can only take Inter so far. So, and I think that that's something that the uh, Sunin group and, you know, and, and, and Marotta and the folks behind the scenes are going to have to, you know, they're going to have to determine that and make that decision. Gritty, uh how about you? Do you feel the same way as Frank with both managers? Uh, so first to Gennaro Gattuso, uh, I, you know, he's a uh, Rossoneri club legend as a player. And yeah, I, I grew up uh, watching him beat the shit out of uh, Christian Bieri. And uh, people like that, you know, from from, from the inter side, uh, what what a competitor! I mean, just I have all all the respect for him as as it pertains to the sport of football. And uh, he has made me a believer. I thought that that Milan were an absolute joke in November of seventeen when they got rid of Motella and brought in uh, Gattuso. I thought it was a a, sh- a short-term fix to a long-term problem with a guy who couldn't uh, read a tactic if it fell and hit him on the head. And he's made me a believer. I think that he, he's gotten the pieces in place with some of the recent uh, transfers. 
to sort of, uh, I guess you could say, run his style of offense and uh, play his his type of defense, and 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 it's paid off. If you look at if you look at the results, like I said, you know, this is a team that that was red hot coming in to to, to this past weekend. I, I I agree with Frank. Oddly enough, that I don't want to see him get sacked out of the respect I have for him and and the fact that he. He's a club legend at Milan. I, I, it's like it's like Paolo Maldini. I mean, you know, like this is this is a guy who 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 bled for those colors for that crest. Um, that being said, uh, th- uh, uh, there's there's there is every coach has his or her so to speak limitations, I guess you could say. So that's going to be up to the leadership uh, at Milan to determine whether he he they believe that he can take this club into the top two. And eventually back to, you know, uh, a Scudetto, which uh, it's been seems like it's been a century now since they've won one of those things. Um, So I guess my prediction for next season, I think he still will be Milan's coach as August approaches. Um, I don't know how long of a leash they're going to give him, though. That's the question. I think, you, you, you know, this is a team that rebounded from a very poor start to this season uh, by Milan standards, you know, historical Milan standards. And he's got them, he's got them right there in the Champions League. If he gets the Champions League qualification, you got to reward the guy. You can't sack him. I mean, come on. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just not right. For Spalletti, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing is I, you know, Inter's players are individuals more times than they are a cohesive unit. And I think that Spalletti hasn't really, I don't think that it's his um, uh, tactical inabilities or his uh, uh, you know stubbornness to, to adapt or to change. I think Spalletti does more times than not get it right. But I think that his, you know, Perisic has been in a funk since the World Cup. If you really want to be honest with yourself, if you're, if you're an Interisti and you, you've, you followed them over these, you know, uh, uh, past was August uh, seven months. He he's had a World Cup hangover that 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 stills kind of uh, you know it has him in a daze. He's not the same player that we saw at the end of last season in May, and he's certainly not the player that we saw in Russia last summer. So um, when you have players like that, then the Mauro Riccardi situation comes up. You're 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 having to thrust this kid Latrell Martinez in there to to replace him almost on a dime. Uh, you know. A lot of new players. Politano's integrated in the squad. You've got uh, uh, Wanda circling the club like a vulture. Um, you know, it's a <laughs> lot that Spalletti has to deal with. And unfortunately, it's the manager that has that takes the fall. They ultimately get the blame. They have to. They 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 get very little glory when it's the win. They get all the uh, uh, you know the pressure and and the poor press when it's a loss. So. I don't believe that he's going to be Inter's manager at the start of next season. I think that they will uh, part amicably in the summer. They will part ways. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I wish I could say better for Spalletti, but I think it's more Inter's players than it is him. I think that there's a, a definite lack of consistency in this side, and we'll see where they go from here. Frank's, Frank's assessment is that we'll be fine. I'm not so convinced about that. Uh, I still think that top four is going to be a, a massive struggle and we'll be lucky uh, to, to finish just like match day 38 next season. If it comes down to the final match day, I hope we can get the three points because we might need all of them. I still think the Roman clubs are going to trip over themselves on the way on the way to the finish. And that'll that'll help Inter get through and finish top four. That's another that's another reason. So uh, that's, uh, you know, yeah, Lazio and Roma have not inspired much, uh, much confidence. But um, 
there is uh, if you're if if Richard, if you're asking uh, who might be the replacement, I really uh, I, I, I hope it's not him for for historical reasons. But, you know, obviously, Jose Mourinho's name is being thrown around like it's a, a, a rag doll. Yeah. And um, I really hope it's not him because he hasn't had anywhere near the success at any place he's been since 2010 when he left Inter. And if that's the lasting moment I have of him at this club, he's never going to be able to get that. And he's always going to be measured against that. So I, I'd rather just Mourinho go 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 coach um, Bayern Munich or somebody when they fire Kovac eventually. I don't care where he goes, but not, don't I, I really don't want to see him back at Inter. Yeah, it's going to be a, a decision that both these clubs are going to have to make if they want to move up to the next level and, and get that next manager, whether it's Conte, Mourinho, Simeone. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's uh, the one thing I think we can all agree on is that this was dar- this derby was certainly it lived up to the hype finally for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, definitely in the Gattuso era for sure. Uh, this has definitely been one of the, the more entertaining games, even you know despite the Critics team winning. But uh, it's it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's a fine pill to swallow when the, when the game is entertaining. So um, yeah, the game uh, game ends three two. Inter win the derby. Um, they jump over Milan. For now, in third place. Uh, so yeah, that was uh that was a our derby recap with Critty Smith and Frank. Um, Critty, uh, this is your time to shine. Um, tell us about what you got going on over here at Sempre Inter with all the things you got going on. Plug away. Well, do better me swallow. Better you swallow that pill than me. Um, <laughs> so so uh, we got some really cool projects going on in Sempre Inter right now. Obviously, uh, we gave birth to this to the Inter Legend series uh, last fall. Uh, the next article to come out will be uh, about Giuseppe Miazza himself. He oh, who wow. is he who the San Siro is named after. Yes, indeed. Uh, played for both Milan clubs, but is far better known for his time at Inter than at AC Milan. So that's the next article. We also do feature uh, Inter Legends every week on the Studio Inter podcast, uh, which, uh, is, of course, is hosted by the awesome Nima. And, um, yeah, besides that, we are also on uh, going this later this spring, so it'll be about May timeframe, May-June timeframe, we are going to launch uh, the Inter Legends series on Sempre Inter TV. That's the uh, YouTube channel oh, for Sempre nice. Inter. And... Um, Rahul and myself have been doing uh, uh, the last couple reviews. We uh, just reviewed the Eintracht Frankfurt match from the Europa League, as well as the Derby, which just uh, came out today on the YouTube channel. So everybody, uh, if you just hashtag Semper Inter, you'll find all of our stuff. Um, we've got the YouTube channel, we've got the podcast, and we've got the uh, the website, of course, uh, full of uh, great content. If you're uh, Nerazzurri, that's the place to go. And where, where can our followers find you on uh, social media? On social media, uh, Twitter, at Curtis Smith. It's, it's that simple, just at Curtis Smith, C-R-I-T-T-Y-S-M-I-T-H. Curtis, it, uh, it was a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on Syria. Sit down, Frank. Uh, any parting words for Curtis? Uh, no, Curtis, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. All right. Excellent stuff. That was Curtis Smith. Uh, making his first appearance on the Serie A sit-down, going over Derby della Madonnina. Uh, y- yes, Serie A fans, there were nine other games, and we're going to get to them now. Well, Richard, like I said, believe it or not, there were nine other games in Serie A this weekend. Yeah, I guess we should uh, get to the mall, huh? 
Yeah, let's talk about them. Okay, it all started on Friday uh, in Sardinia. Cagliari were playing host to Fiorentina. Last chance saloon for Laviola in terms of any European hopes. Cagliari obviously needing it uh, for uh, separation from the bottom three. Um, and uh, no goals until the second half. Joao Pedro on a cross from Fabrizio Cacciatori. Uh, Cagliari thought they had doubled their lead just shortly after that on a Goal from Luca Ciccarini from about midfield where he caught Terracciano off his line. It was a restart. Unfortunately, the referee had uh, called it an indirect kick. I believe it was an offside call or something similar. So seeing how Ciccarini struck it, nobody else touched it, uh, the goal would not stand. Uh, but Calade would get that second goal through Luca Cepatelli off a free kick from Sharalampos uh, Likojanis. Gesundheit. Yes. Who the hell is that? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, uh, Pellegrini and uh, Serna didn't play in this game. It was uh, the combination of Cacciatori and Lico Giannis uh, at the fullback positions. But Cagliari 2 0 up. Uh, they, Fiorentina would get a goal. 88th minute, uh, Federico Chiesa, uh, assisted by Gerson. And uh, that would, but that would be all she wrote. Cagliari winning by two goals to nil. Uh, on Saturday, there were three games, and uh, get the abacus out for this one Sassuolo and Sampdoria. We told you all season long, Sassuolo's the fun bad team, and boy, they were fun bad in this one. Goal of the week candidate to open the scoring, Gregoire de Frel. Uh, from Fabio Quagliarella. Uh, then uh, Quagliarella, that was in the 15th minute. Minute 36, Quagliarella would have a goal of the week candidate himself, making it 2-0. Uh, it would be 2-1 uh, thanks to Jeremy Boga on a, on a, on a ball in from Paul Lirola. Uh, Kel uh made it 3-1 to the away team. Sampdoria away winning 3-1, but it's at Sassuolo, so pick your poison. Um, (laughs) On the assist from Gregoire de Ferrell, it was 3-1 at halftime. Uh, Dennis Pratt scoring uh, to uh, give Sampdoria a 4-1 lead. Uh, Alfred Duncan uh, would make it 4-2. Manolio Gabbiadini um, making it 5-2 in the 72nd minute, and then in stoppage time, Kuma, Kuma Babakar with a... No more than a consolation for the home team. 5-3 to Sampdoria. Uh, Spall against Roma. Uh, the adventures with uh, Claudio Ranieri, uh, and they weren't pro- and they weren't pleasant. Uh, 22nd minute, Mohamed Fares on a goal from Thiago Chonic. Um, and that would be a 1-0 lead for Spall going into the break. It would be Diego Perotti getting a penalty uh, and scoring it in the 53rd minute, and then Spall would get a penalty six minutes later. Andrea Patania, even fatter than ever, uh, getting a penalty there, uh, and Spall winning by two goals to one. Uh, Torino, uh, Bologna, this was a game, a homecoming of sorts for Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, bringing Bologna to one of his former employers, a game that had goals and men behaving badly. Uh, it started with an Eric Pulgar own goal, uh, to give Torino the lead, but then Andrea Poli would equalize, making it 1-1 in the 29th minute. Five minutes later, an Eric Pulgar penalty, uh, making it 2-1. Uh, Ricardo Orsolini scoring to make it 3-1 for Bologna. Uh, and then Lianco would get a would would uh, commit a foul in the 88th minute. It would be his second yellow. He would get sent off. It set up a... Uh, uh, a set piece that Armando Itzo finishes, uh, assisted by Alex Berenguer. 
Uh, 92nd minute, Ola Aina, I believe, committed a foul, got a booking for it, and then said something about the referee's mother and was promptly sent off. And that was it. Torino 2, Bologna 3. So that was Saturday's action. Uh, Moving on to Sunday, the shock of the week. uh, At the Marassi, Genoa 2, Juventus 0. Uh, the former Juventus man ending Juventus's unbeaten run in the Serie A season, Stefano Storaro. Boy, that's that's a script, isn't it, Richard? Yeah, I know, right? Hey, he, he celebrated. Hey, good for him. That's a good goal. Yeah, yeah, I'd celebrate too. Um, Goran Pandev nine minutes later would seal the win. A listless Juventus that played without Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll talk about it. There's a couple of talking points that came uh, out of this game, but Genoa winning by two goals to nil. Uh, Atalanta. Uh, another surprise here, only a 1-1 draw with Kievo uh, at home. Medjarini scoring in the 32nd minute, and then it was Ilicic uh, from Duvan Zapata for the equalizer there. Uh, a relegation six-pointer between Empoli and Frosinone, a big one at that. Uh, Francesco Caputo on a penalty. It was actually, this was a VAR review. They got it correct. Uh, Caputo with the penalty to put him up 1-0. Marco Pajic uh, making it 2-0. Uh, in the 38th, um, Valzania scoring for Frosinone uh, to make it 2-1, and that is how it would stay. Uh, 2-1 to Empoli, big win for them. Lazio finally showed up and started scoring goals against Parma. They got four in the first half. It was Marusic, then an Alberto penalty. Alberto scoring a brace, and then Senat Lulic with a goal of the week candidate, making it four goals to nil. Uh, it was a uh, consolation goal from Matias Brocati in the 77th minute for Parma. Uh, and then finally, Napoli and Udinese. This was an entertaining one. Napoli for Udinese. Two uh, goal of the week candidate from Amin Yunus. Uh, Jose Callejon making it 2-0. It was a uh, Kevin Lasagna goal making it 2-1. Assisted by Seiko Fofana. Seiko Fofana would get his own to equalize at 2-2 before halftime. Injury injury one here, uh, Davide Ospina, Davide Ospina uh, had a nasty collision with uh, Pusetto in the first half. Uh, they bandaged his head. He tried to play for as long as he could, and then by 44th minute, he checked out. Alex Merritt came in. Uh, Arkadiusz Milik with a, uh, with a very hard-earned goal on a corner kick from Kelly Hohn, making it 3-2. And then another goal of the week candidate, Dries Mertens, uh, 4-2 for Inter. Um, so Richard, let's start, you know, that's obviously a lot of stuff. I mean, before we start kind of getting into the talking points on some of these games and some of these teams, uh, give us your impression on what happened with the games this weekend. We had some goals and then we had some, uh, head scratching results. Uh, the goals obviously speak for themselves. I mean, great games between, you know, Sassuolo and Sampdoria, Torino, Bologna, Lazio with a wonderful goal performance there. And then obviously the Napoli Udinese match. But the two, well, three games that stood out for me really were, well, four, really. It's Fiorentina losing to Cagliari, Roma losing to Spal, obviously Juventus losing to Genoa, and then Atalanta listless against Kiev, Kievo, excuse me. So yeah, those are, uh, head scratching results, which, you know, going to the weekend, you could, you would have put your money down that all these, all four of those teams would have won those games, yet, uh, they come out for the majority on the losing end. Let's start with Juventus. Um, Okay, and no Ronaldo. Um, Dybala's out. You know, Dybala was out there. Did, uh, you know, just watching this game, this just felt like a Juve going through the motions. I mean, and this was a this really was a theme for teams that were just coming back from playing a European game for the most part. Um, teams that were coming. I mean, depending on depending on where you came from, 
teams were having their struggles this weekend that, it, you know, that played midweek in Europe. I mean, it's just that awful trap game for a lot of these teams, um, you know, from having to play in a European fixture at midweek and then having to play this game before taking off for the international break. And, you know, these teams that came off these European fixtures treated these games pretty similarly when you look at it across the continent, save for Barcelona, who battered Real Betis. But, um, but in the case of our, our Serie A teams, I mean, Juve just, uh, you know, Ronaldo took a break and, um, you know, just uh, certainly didn't certainly didn't look themselves. Uh, Dybala didn't really add a whole lot to it. And overall, a disappointing performance from the old lady and, and credit Genoa. They deserve to win this game. Yeah, it was almost like uh, Inter, or Inter, Juventus thought they could just show up and they would win the game. And, you know, going to the Marassi is always a hard place to play, whether you know, it's Genoa at home or Sampdoria at home. It's always a difficult fixture. And Genoa certainly were up for the match. We saw that. And uh, I'm sure having a guy like Suraro on your team and Pandev, two guys who've been there with big clubs and big moments, uh, they know how to get the team up. And those are two guys that showed up, like, as you would expect in a game of this magnitude for them. And so good, good on Genoa because, uh, again, they haven't played the prettiest ball this uh, all season, but they they played they play hard. And they they showed it with the goals that they had. They were they were good goals, good hard earned goals. So good for them. Um, Juve, I guess, yeah, they were just uh, so beat from the midweek game, and then they thought that uh, they could take a take a break and still cruise with a victory. And they found out that, that you have to show up. Um, you had uh, uh, through the city, I sit down account on Twitter, retweeted something interesting, and I wonder if Allegri knew this going in that uh, um, in the two seasons that they lost at the Marassi under Allegri, they reached the Champions League final. Right? Maybe he maybe he choked it on purpose. You never know. I, I, yeah. Hey, we all like a good conspiracy theory once in a while, don't we? <laughs> exactly. But as the as the Juventus fans will tell you. Or not you, the anti-Juve fans, I should say. Uh, those same two years, they got blown out in the in the Champions League final. So hey, it's not always, uh, you know, not all great if you look at it that way. Well, they got to get there still, but yeah, uh, it's just kind of a kind of an interesting note. The other thing that I kind of got a little bit uh, uh, unnerved by um, <clears throat> reports that were coming out that uh, fans that attended the Genoa Juve game. Uh, you know, and paid their money, obviously paid their hard-earned money to, to buy tickets to go to the game, and I understand it, but they now, you know, there's a fraction of them demanding a refund because Ronaldo didn't feature in the game. I don't know where you stand on this, but I am of the opinion of when I buy a ticket to go to an event or when I buy a ticket to go to a game, I assume the risk that there's a possibility that a player or something might happen that will actually impact the value of my ticket. Um and I, it, I don't understand what kind of what kind of uh, <laughs> it's crazy what kind of culture we're creating sometimes with people that oh Ronaldo did, I want my money back I came to see Ronaldo I, I you know if and, and I don't Genoa is not going to refund anybody's money which they shouldn't and and if a club actually finally started doing that and we're dangerously close given the way society has gone. We're dangerously close to a team actually starting to do that, which would set an incredibly dangerous precedent. If this was at the J and it happened, I could see more reason to decide with the fans. But no, that's just stupid. Um, you go there to support. You go there to watch your team play. If you, you go there just for a player, you're in, you're in it for the wrong business. Um, there's no reason that anybody should get refunded for this kind of this kind of mishigas or whatever. Um, that's the stupidest thing I've heard, and 
Um, it's like me going to like a, a AC Milan game here in the U.S. and because their their top eleven didn't play, I want my money back. That's stupid. No, you take the risk that somebody's not going to play, whether it's injury or because you know they're tired, whatever. I mean, it happens in all the sports too. We we get the same complaints in the NBA with the Spurs when when they're when they're older players are getting set that set out half the season. So, um, no, I mean you you go to the game to watch the teams play, teams before the players. If you're going, to, your only purpose is to go there before going to Ronaldo. Oh well, sorry. I mean. He's not going to play every game. He's 34 years old. He's not going to play every game. So, um, no, they should not get refunded whatsoever. Absolutely. 100% not. So, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I hope, I hope they don't pay them. No, no, no. They better not. They charge them double. Juventus (laughs) has a 15 point lead. They've earned the right to play whoever they damn well want for the rest of the season. Yep. So, Moise Keen, on the way, all the way out. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see Moise Keane play every week. I'd, oh, me too. Why why wouldn't you pay money? Why why would you refuse to pay money to see? I know he came out as a substitute in this game, but why wouldn't you refuse to pay pay money to see Moise Keane at this point? You know, right. he's he's a promising young player. Um, all right, let's go for. I mean, we're gonna do this kind of by the by the table. So we started at the top. I mean, Napoli, we don't have to talk about. Um, you know, although they drew Arsenal uh, for the Europa League, so we should probably talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, they go to the Emirates first. It was interesting because it was Napoli's name that came out first, and they drew Arsenal. But I think the the stipulation is that um, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea had to make sure that they were on that that they didn't have two games at the same time going on in London. Is kind of the stipulation. Um, it was interesting when I was watching the draw and they were going through that, you know. But anyway, so they, they go to the Emirates first. So I think in a sense, Napoli catches a break by going to England first. Would you agree? Yes, I agree. Because if, if they can get that away goal right away, it puts a lot more pressure on, on, on Arsenal coming back to Sao Paulo. And Arsenal's not the most airtight defense either. Uh, so so an away yeah, goal who, is... Who do they just beat that they gave up three goals in the first leg? So... Right, and that, that team's not Napoli. Right, right. So it's 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 very doable. I, I for me, Napoli is the favorite to win this competition. I think they're going to eliminate Arsenal here at this stage, um, and that's not an Italian bias. That's just the way I see it. I I get that Arsenal's in really good form, but right now, you know, Arsenal's battle battling on a combination of fronts right now. Where Napoli right now can put all of their eggs in the Europa League basket. Um, they're going to be back in the Champions League next season. When you take a look at where they are in the table. Unless they have this just, you know, unheard of, uh, unprecedented collapse. Uh, but I think that Napoli are fine as far as being back in the Champions League next season. It doesn't whether they finish second, third, or fourth. They're not going to win the Scudetto. So it's all about winning the Europa League, which they seem fully committed to. Yeah. And, but you can't, well, the one thing you can't discount is that anything can happen in these kind of tournaments. And one of the teams we thought was a head, a head and shoulders favorite with Napoli being Sevilla. Um, and they were playing two outstanding legs against Slavia Prague, and uh, they lost. Uh, so you never know. Uh, but I, I fully expect uh, Napoli to continue their march towards the the finals because they are that good, and they're they're led by a manager who's been there before. So um, unlike uh, unlike Sevilla, can can we start taking plaudits for our opinion about Roma now? We should, right? Can we just sit there and say hey, you could have gotten Zidane to take over this team, and he wasn't going to do anything with it? I mean, and Ranieri's not going to do anything with it. We knew it. We talked yeah. about this with Andrew. Um, was that last week already? Yeah, that was last week. Yeah. Um, and we said that this isn't going to be any better just because you sack EDF and Ranieri comes in. It's and uh, you know they 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 lose to a small team that's desperate to stay stay alive and stay up. And this was, I mean. 
this ball, this is three points that they probably shouldn't have expected to get when you take a look at the fixtures the rest of the way. So um, it's almost as if Spall can, they're very close to playing with house money as a result. I mean, there's still some work to do. They're only two points clear of safety. Um, but Roma, my goodness, uh, it's, yeah, it, it, Ranieri went to a four, went to the four, four, two this time, uh, which is what he would, which is what he trusts when you take a look at the lineup that he put out there. And um, it it didn't work. Yeah, it's uh, well. We said Spall is that kind of team that kind of like hack their way to wins or try to get the wins at least. And um, Broma, they they couldn't get it done. I mean, they still got Olsen in net, which is what we're still ha- scratching our head about. You know, we don't know what's going on there. And um, yeah, having to have the front two of uh, Jekko and Schick, you'd think would work, but it, it's just not working. And whatever they're doing right now, it's Everything they throw out there, it seems not to work. So um, Roma got some uh, to look look down deep inside and try to figure stuff out. So because uh, the way they're currently playing, they're going to be uh, dropping like dropping like flies. And you know, there's two teams chomping at the bit to try to get these European spots that are that haven't been there before. And you know, well, Atalanta has, but Torino hasn't in a while. So um, they better look at now and get their shit their their stuff together uh, before they lose it all. Uh, Lazio just picking on a team that hit the beach uh, in Parma uh, in in this instance, or um, is this the is this the start for them to make a uh, push towards Europe? I hope it's a it's a push for them to get get towards Europe. Um, they have the talent to play like this. They play like this last year almost every game. They, that's the reason why they were one of the highest scoring teams, or if not the highest scoring team last year in, in Serie A, they got the talent to score these kind of goals. It's just the consistency aspect, right? And I think part of it has to do with Parma already being at the beach, uh, being on international break already. Uh, but also, I think a lot of it is also that you know Lazio are maybe starting to find their stride. They've been playing a lot better in the last couple of weeks, um, especially their bigger name players. Luis Alberto got a brace in this one. Uh, Lulic has been playing pretty well all season, as as is Martisic. So um, hopefully, it's a sign of things to come. Because I, I for one, like to, would like to see Immobile and and the guys and SMS for for God's sake get get some goals in there. Um, and and show us the the entertaining side a lot too that we we grew accustomed to last season as opposed to what we've seen this year. I mean, they they deserved more than one goal at Fiorentina. Uh, they they had a lot of the chances in that game too. So, I yeah. mean, they had three in the derby and now four here against Parma. So they look like they're starting to get back to their goal scoring ways. Let's see what they do uh, when they come back on the thirty first. Uh, when they come back from the break on the thirty first at Inter, uh, boy, that's going to be a good one. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, time will tell. Uh, you know, just kind of moving further down the list, Atalanta, Torino, and, and Sampdoria kind of becoming rank and file as far as seventh through ninth. But I mean, Atalanta and Torino still right in the thick of trying to finish in that in in the fifth and sixth places. Um, you know, Sampdoria got helped themselves big time here with the um, you know with a win at Sassuolo. Fiorentina, though, that loss at Cagliari, I think that's 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 the death knell there. They're eight points back of sixth. Uh, there's no Europe for Fiorentina, and as a result, is is uh, is Pioli? Do you see Pioli being gone after this season? Yes, uh, they are underperforming tremendously. Both you know them and Sampdoria, but specifically Fiorentina. I mean, they're five points off of the ninth place spot, so um, they are. They are. This team has too much talent to be in the position that they're at. They got a young team. They could be a strong team for years to come, including this year. And for whatever reason, they're just not responding well. And and I get 
YPO is still there. He's had some to to deal with some hard situations over there, and he deserves to see the, the season out for sure. But he's not cutting it uh, as you know. He's not getting the results that Fiorentina needed. The team's not playing cohesively at times, or not playing consistently for sure. Um, it's no doubt that they have uh, a good nucleus there. I just getting them to play every week and getting them to respond, and uh, he doesn't seem like he's the guy for them. Genoa, obviously, we talked about that big win over Juve. Um, you know, I mean, Cagliari with that win over Fiorentina, uh, six points clear of the drop now. Are they safe? I think so. I think so. I think now you're looking at, I don't see the top nine really changing. And as far as I don't think anyone else is going to come in, in that in that mix. And then as you look at the bottom bottom six, I don't think anyone's going to fall in there. I think Cagliari, and Cagliari up is going to be safe. And really, it's going to be between from Spal down to uh, Bologna, really going to battling out. And I think Bologna is going to be, they're starting to get performances now. We saw Orsolini, he's been, he's been really instrumental in the last couple of weeks. And, um, Cagliari, you know, they, they've been playing consistently as of late and they're getting their points. So I, they're going to be safe. Four point gap. Yeah, I see they're safe. Okay. Um, Frozenone is now going down officially. That, uh, that, that loss again. That loss at Empoli. That was a that was a true relegation six pointer. Uh, that was three points that they needed to have, which would have only put them four points away from safety. Now they are eight points away from safety, and uh, I think uh, we can probably put dirt on closing on Serie A season and uh, wish them well on the way down to Serie B. I think so. It's uh, yeah, they're. Kievo's got no chance at this moment, and Frosinone, they're they've been struggling all season long, and um, I don't see it. that was a game that they needed to get a win, not a lot, not only a point, but a win uh, against a team that you're battling relegation possibly with, and and they fell short. I mean, if you're looking at the the bottom six teams or so, or you know, if you're looking at Spal Udinese, Empoli, and Bologna, Bologna is playing really well, right? Empoli, they beat Empoli just beat you. Udinese, they they can they can score. Um, Spal will be the only chance you got, and you got to hope that they drop points so they can get closer to you. But uh, Frozen on is all but done. They're done. I'm back and forth between Spal and Empoli for the last relegation spot. I think it's going to be Empoli, uh, but um, but we'll see yeah, what happens. I I just don't see Bologna going down. I I think they're no. too talented. They're they're playing so much better under Mihailovic. Um, I, I think they're going to get out of this, and I think they're going to do it at the cost of Empoli, but I still wouldn't rule out Spall possibly being a contender for relegation, um, even despite winning against Roma, which is a huge win for them, uh, you know, in terms of their efforts of, of, of survival. From aesthetically, from just watching watching just watching their football, I think Empoli play much more attractive football, so I'd rather see them stay up, but, I mean, it's whoever gets the performances, right? It's all about it's all about who can get the points down the stretch. I gotta see do we do Empoli and Spal play each other? I know that Empoli and Bologna play each other. That's April twenty eighth. Oh, it's the week before. Empoli are home Ooh. to Spal April twentieth. So that is a huge two weeks for uh, uh, for the little Tuscan side. Uh, you know, going into uh, you know in terms of their prospects for trying to stay up. So yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. So. Uh, you got a top five goals of the week. It's going to be goals of the week. I don't think we. I don't think we're going to get a goalkeeper in there with all the goals we had. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think a goalie's going to get in this week. Uh, if I get a top five, uh, I'll probably go Baba Cart five, Pedro, Jao Pedro, Qualiarella, Sturaro, and I mean Yunus. Wow, we're both we're 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 uh, we're all over the place here. <laughs> so yeah. 
Interesting. Um, I, uh, I, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to go uh, Merton's five. Um, uh, and then I'm going to go uh, Quagliarella four. Uh, I'm going to go Unas three. Uh, I'm going to go Deathrell two. Um, just a wonderful team goal there uh, from Sampdoria to open the scoring in that game. And then I'm going with Sturaro number one, uh, the goal that ended Juve's undefeated campaign. So there you go. Um, so that's what that's what I'll do. And I, as I said, and I said this on Twitter after Juve lost the match, and I said this to Juventini. I said going undefeated would be the would be a nice novelty and nothing more. I mean, the, it's it's about winning the Champions League at this point. If you would have gotten undefeated in the Serie A season, great. It's but how you know, and how often does it really happen? And is it a big deal? If is it really that big a deal uh, for you to do it? So um, you know. Right now, it's about making sure everybody's fresh for a for a Champions League run. You've got Serie A pretty much wrapped up, and uh, you know now it goes from there. So, but anyway, so that's my you know top five, and then just a quick take on Juve, uh, winner and loser from this match week. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, loser is going to be Roma, um, losing two one to Spal. That's a loss you can't afford to take. Uh, we knew it was not going to be a quick fix for Ranieri, but we thought they were going to show a little bit more fight in this and, and losing to a team. You'd expect them to like lose to a top six team or something. Someone around them, Spa is nowhere near, near close to them this season. Spa has been playing, uh, really bad at, at all the, pretty much the entire season. And you'd expect Roma to win a game like this and they did, did not. Um, winner for me, I'm going to go with Bologna. I thought they showed a lot of fight in, in this one. Um, as someone, uh, Semper Bologna say, they say, you know, they love to see Orsolini score because he brings such joy to the whole team. And it's true. You watch when he scores the goals or when the team scores, he's just so happy. And, and Bologna is happy at the moment with under Mihailovic. Uh, they're doing really well. Uh, Poli's getting in the action with his long, long blocks. Pulgar is scoring. So, a uh, good win against a, a tough team. I mean, three goals against Torino. That's, how many teams can say that in the last, Three months, not yeah, many. Yeah, Torino has been outstanding defensively. So yeah, so great performance by Bologna. Yep. Yeah. You know, when I do the winners and losers, I'm going to go to the individuals, and my winner is Lautaro Martinez. Um, yep. With a lump in my throat as a Milan fan, but uh, you give it up. I mean, the man, uh, you know, filled filled Icardi's boots quite comfortably, um, and uh, and and put on a performance. Got a goal and an assist in the derby, and uh, helped uh, Inter win. Win the uh, do the derby double over uh, over Milan. So uh, so the winner there for me is Lautaro Martinez. Uh, the loser for me here is uh, it is Pioli. Um, it's uh, you know I I, I I like the guy. I like the way his teams play. But yeah, they're not getting it done. You know I don't know who comes in. I mean it's it, it's a spot for Di Francesco possibly. Uh, you could certainly see that, and I know that that's been talked about pretty extensively, that that would be a landing spot for EDF if uh, Pioli goes. We talked about Sampdoria also if they decided Giampaolo can only take him so far. So, But, uh, you know, and I know I get that uh, at Cagliari is a difficult fixture, as we said, but this could be, you know, not getting to Europe, which is what Fiorentina would ultimately like to do. I could see uh, I could see Pioli's days being numbered. So... Um, so that's our wrap-up on the rest of what happened in Serie A. Uh, your thoughts at Serie A sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's uh, quick uh, go through the called up Azzurri. Well, some talking points here, Richard, uh, with the uh, with the called up Azzurri from 
uh, Roberto Mancini as they open up with uh, two home matches uh, in European qualifiers, starting with Finland on March 23rd. Uh, that is a Saturday. And then on Tuesday, the 26th, they'll take on Liechtenstein. Uh, the Finland game is at the Friuli in Udine, and then the uh, uh, the match with Liechtenstein is at the Tardini in Parma. So nice. Um, so yeah. So here's the here's the here's the players he's called up. Let's start with the goalkeepers. These are slam dunks: uh, Alessio Cranio of Cagliari, uh, Gigi Donnarumma of Milan, Mattia Perin of Juve, and Salvatore Sirigu of Torino. Uh, I've got no objections with that. Do you? No. Yeah, there's I, I can't even think of someone that might have deserved it that got snubbed. Uh, those those are the four. I'm pretty good with that. Um, defenders: uh, Cristiano Baraghi of Fiorentina, Leonardo Benucci of Juventus, Giorgio Chiellini of Juventus, Alessandro Florenzi of Roma for some reason, Armando Izzo of Torino, Gianluca Mancini of Atalanta. Good for him. Cristiano Piccini of Valencia, Alessio Romagnoli of Milan, and Leonardo Spinazzola of Juve. Um, Benucci keeps getting on this team, and uh, <laughs> apparently Mancini doesn't watch him defend for Juve. Yeah, apparently not. Uh, he's trying to rekindle that old uh, magic that he had with uh, Chiellini, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess he could do worse if he had uh, Rugani, but um, yeah, that's uh, you got a guy who's not in form whatsoever playing, but I mean, you also got Florenzi in there too. So, um, is De Silvestri injured? I mean, how does he not? How does he not keep getting into these teams? No, he didn't. Know. He didn't play. Did he play? You know, he was available on the bench for Torino. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that's one. But I mean, Itzo makes it uh, for Torino. I mean, we'll talk about another Torino snub here shortly. Um, but uh, Gianluca Mancini, good for him. Uh, he's had a pretty solid season here for Atalanta. I mean, Atalanta have given up a lot of goals defensively, but. Uh, uh, Mancini is a player who stood out and has done some decent things, and uh, good to see him get a look. Oh, one hundred percent. And um, it's about time that he's getting some regular calls. Uh, you know, him and and Manuel Lazzari get in there. Uh, I was I was happy to see both those players in there for sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this team, I think there's a right back problem. Um, I don't know who's going to be the right back uh, unless Mancini's going to play three at the back. Uh, which could entirely be possible. Maybe Piccini, this Piccini from Valencia, does he play on the right? I think he plays on the right in back because I think it's it's either a Lato or a Gaia playing on the left. Uh, right, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so you know he could end up being the starting right back for Italy here in these quali- in these qualifiers. I, I don't want it to be Florenzia. I don't think he's played well enough here in recent weeks. Um, for me, the left back, uh, you know, I could say slam dunk Cristiano Baraghi, but after how Spinazzola played in the Champions League game against Atletico <laughs> yeah. Madrid, it's a it's interesting. Yeah, no. How about just bench Benucci and then have Baraghi and Spinazzola in there some way? One plays center back. <laughs> no. um, Sp- Spinazzola, he played really great in the Champions League. There's no doubt about that. He doesn't just have the games right now. Baraghi played all season. He's been Baraghi's been playing great all year long. So I think he should should be the starter. But I think Spinazzola should definitely get a shot. Uh, one of the games because he he was fantastic against Atletico. So um, yeah, uh, either way, I think you're going to be good, 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 uh, good standing, and just a right back uh, you got to worry about. Outstanding. Um, so those are the defenders. Yeah, not seeing a whole. You know, De Silvestri could have been uh, a, a a potential inclusion. He's been decent for Torino. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, 
Calabria has played well enough for Milan. Uh, I think so. Where maybe he deserved to look in, and apparently, you know, Mancini didn't just just didn't want to go with him. So, you know, a couple guys here that might have deserved an opportunity and didn't get one. So, uh, but uh, not a bad group uh, here. And, and when you get Italy, you're going to have good defending anyway, no matter who you pick. It seems um, midfielders: uh, Nicolo Barella of Cagliari, Brian Cristante of Roma, Jorginho of Chelsea. Stefano Sensi of Sassuolo, good for him. Marco Verratti of PSG, Nicolo Zagnolo of Roma. Um, a lot of the diehard guys that watch Serie A real closely, Richard, know who Stefano Sensi is. But yes. uh, how about the casual fan? Maybe educate people on why Sensi deserves a spot in this team. I mean, he he is he's a talented player, talented midfielder. Um, there's a reason why he, you know, the team he went over to Spain and played for Villarreal for a little bit because they they wanted him that bad. That's how good he is. And he, I mean, look at what he's done for Sassuolo this season. Um, he scored some nice goals. He set up some beautiful goals as well. He's a team player as well. He, he's a hard worker. He doesn't give up. Um, you need a player like that on your team, not only for your national team but also your club team. Um, since he's got good vision, good passing ability, um, he's the type of player you li- you like to have on a team. There's no there's not much bad you could say about him. Um, I, can, I have a hard time finding something bad to say about him, Frank. I mean, can you think of anything bad to say about him? No, he's a solid midfield player. He, yes, I mean, he's yeah. going to end up getting a big payday playing for somebody big. I know that Milan have their eyes on him among uh, among some of the other big teams. I don't think he's at Sassuolo beyond this season. So, no. uh, you know, so we'll see how that pans out. I mean, the midfield's going to be, if you know, hopefully the midfield he sticks with. You know, Barella, Giorgino, Giorgino, and Verratti, because those three, I think, really put it together towards the end of the UEFA Nations League last fall. So hopefully he continues with that for these qualifiers. Oh, I do too. Um, certainly you want to see Zagnolo, Sensi, and Cristante get a shot, but Barella, Giorgino, and Verratti, are, they're, they're, they're the three going forward, I think. They, they look cohesive, uh, and they each complement each other so well. So I think uh, hopefully going forward we'll see them. Indeed, indeed. Now let's get to the attackers. This is where it gets fun. Federico Berenesky of Juventus, no problem with that. Federico Chiesa of uh, Fiorentina, no problem with that. Stefano Sharawi of Roma, uh, okay. He hasn't been setting the world on fire, but I guess he's been okay enough to make the team. Vincenzo Grifo, who I'll ask you about here once I read the rest of the list here, Richard. Uh, Ciro Immobile, for some reason, um, Moise Kane, which I hoped uh, a couple last week that he would get the call up, and he did. Uh, Kevin Lasagna uh, for Udinese, Leonardo Pavoletti of Cagliari, Matteo Politano of Inter, and Fabio Quagliarella of Sampdoria. Richard Vincenzo Grifo, uh, currently at Freiburg on loan uh, from Hoffenheim. Uh, so I'm going to tap into your Bundesliga expertise and have you educate the people on Vincenzo Grifo. Yeah, Vincenzo Grifo is about time he gets a call up. He is a solid midfielder. Um, he he has been in the past for Hoffenheim, and he has the season for Freiburg. I mean, he's got four goals. Um, I forget how many assists he has. I want to say he has like six assists, but I could be wrong. Um, he's 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 a fantastic player. Uh, he deserve he's been deserved to call it for a long time. Honestly, it's just about time that he finally got it. Um, he he's a hardworking player. He's got got great vision on the ball. Um, but the thing he he runs tirelessly and and he he he's like the striker that you need. He, I, for years I didn't think he was. I thought he had the Italian name, but maybe it was just a German because he played so long in the Bundesliga. But uh, it's good to see that he he is with the he had Zuri in the national team and 
Um, he's certainly going to be someone that uh, Mancini could use because he's very versatile. He's not just one dimensional, and you need that sometimes because sometimes uh, you have to change up the formations, and he can he can slot into so many different positions. So, excellent. Uh, let's address the elephants in the room. Mario Bellotelli and Andrea Bellotti left out. Um, deserve deservedly so. Um, I mean, Balotelli is scoring goals like crazy over there at over there at Marseille, and 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 you can certainly make a case for him. I probably can make more of a case for Balotelli than I can for Belotti. Obviously, Belotti has gotten here. What there's a two game space here where he scored three goals, so he's had a little bit of a burst here. But overall, it hasn't been there with him as far as the goal scoring is concerned. He's doing a lot of other things rather well. Um, so, Balotelli and Belotti. Make a case for either of these guys, or you know, is is Mancini okay with the forwards that he picked? I mean, I guess the forwards that he have, you can't complain too much about. I mean, you want to see Moise Keane. I mean, he's he showed in his brief debut that he's the real deal, right? He's got the speed and, and the finishing ability, so you want to see him. He's the future. You definitely want to see him. Kevin Lasagna, he. He's one one I would probably question because I love lasagna, but he hasn't been playing that great this year. Last year he was fantastic. Balotelli, you know, he's had such a great season. He's had some pretty good seasons in the last couple of years. Um, I guess with him and you know, Mancini knows him so well. Maybe he just doesn't want the the certain uh, mentality or a personality in the room that could disrupt anything, and that's what Balotelli would bring to you. It's something. It's a wild card. For sure. I mean, you just saw his goal the other weekend where he scored a fantastic goal and then he celebrates with a, a camera selfie or whatever. <laughs> so maybe he just doesn't want that kind of distraction in the team, right? We saw when he, when they were together at Man City and he pulled him in a friendly in the United States for doing a back heel flick in like the first five minutes of the game. So maybe he doesn't want to deal with that distraction because he can't, he can't rein in that horse. Um, but, uh, you know, personally, I would love to see Balotelli because he's playing really well right now and he probably scores some goals for you. So he'd be, he'd give you headaches for sure, but, he could score goals. So, um, Balotti, he, you know, he has been too inconsistent this season. I think while his team's been playing well, he hasn't really particularly been playing well until as of recently. So, um, I'm fine with him not being on the team. But yeah, Balotelli should definitely uh, should get a get a sniff here. Yeah, I think a little more consistency out of Balotti, and it seems to be that's what Mancini feels. And then, you know, he is he has said to one degree or another, as far as Balotelli, that he really wants Balotelli to earn his place in the national team, and just doesn't think he's there yet. You know, that he's he's getting on form, he's scoring some goals for Marseille, he's you know, rehabbing his career, if you will, um, you know, in the process. And I, you know, maybe Mancini looks at this and say, hey. I don't want the I don't want you to have the burden of being called up right now. I want to con- let me see you continue to grow at your club, and then down the road there might be an opportunity for you to get a call up. That might be very good man management, but uh, when when you look at the eye test right now and you see a guy scoring goals and he's being left out of the national team, you know guys like you and me have to ask the questions. No, one hundred percent, and and they're fair questions. So. I mean, I, I guess the reason why he go, he's going with a guy like Lasagna is because Lasagna will, you know, he'll fight for everything. He he saw what he did in the last game they played, and he was uh he scored that goal. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, not too not too much not too much to complain about. And Pavoletti, he's had a good season. Politano is playing well. Uh, Al Sharawi, you can scratch your head about, but he's he's got double digit goals I think this season too. So, yeah, I mean, overall you can't deny and and Qualiarella, he deserves it one hundred percent to be here. Leads the league in goals, so. Yeah, for sure. And then let's just uh, do a quick look here. I mean, Finland and uh, uh, Liechtenstein, both at home. 
Italy is in a group. Um, what group are they in? They're in Group J, a group that they should have no trouble qualifying for Euro 2023 when you take a look at it. They're in with Armenia, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Finland, Greece, and Liechtenstein. So they open with two qualifiers at home against Finland and Liechtenstein, and, and six points is six points is a must. I, anything less than that is going to be a huge disappointment. Yeah, they should certainly get uh, six points out of this one, and they need to, frankly, because yeah, they should win. This should be a group that they get out of easily. But you know, Armenia will give you troubles. Uh, Bosnia Herzegovina they could on their day. So um, and Greece, you never know. Greece, Greece is always played very defensive. So these are six points that they need to have, no doubt about that. Especially like inside of Finland. I mean, if you get if you're drawing the other couple teams, okay, whatever. But you need to get as many points as you can in the process and, and make ensure that you're gonna be safe going forward. In between the two games, the real danger man is on Finland, uh, Timu Puki. Oh yeah, um, from from uh, Norwich City. Uh, so he'd be the guy that you have to deal with. But I think that there's enough in in in, in Italy's locker to uh, to be able to deal with him. And then Finland will find it hard to get the service to him to to begin with. But he'd be the danger man for Finland that uh, that Italy need to uh, to pay attention to. So yeah, he's a, he's a shifty player who can uh, find his way. But yeah. Italy have the defenders in the midfield to to shut him out and and keep him from off the score sheet. So in, indeed, indeed. So he's the guy to keep an eye on at least on Finland, uh, and make sure that uh, uh, that he is accounted for at all times. Uh, but otherwise, uh, six points. Uh, you know, and and I don't care how they make the sausage on this one. Just get the six points and get off to a good start in qualifying. It doesn't need to be dominant. It just needs to be six points. Um, so that is our wrap on the Azzurri call-up and the preview of their European games coming up. Uh, your thoughts on the team, go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. And now let's put a bow on this edition of Serie Sit Down. Uh, Richard, just a quick, uh, I suppose, just a, uh, a quick social media check. And uh, if you want to plug anything you're up to. Uh, as always, you can find me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, and as well, when you're not, when I'm not on the Serie A set down YouTube page, you can find me on my own uh, YouTube page uh, making videos. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Excellent stuff. And I'm at FTC underscore 21. You can follow us at Serie A sit down on Twitter or Instagram. We have our own channels on YouTube. or on, we, Well, we do have our own channel on YouTube. You can find videos there. Um, we have our own channels on iTunes and SoundCloud. We can also be found on Stitcher. We can be found on Spotify. Where else, Richard? Put it anywhere that streams music, you're going to find us. Just type in Serious Sit Down on any streaming service and we'll be there. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah. Uh, so, and uh, uh, do uh, subscribe to one of those. Uh, leave a comment, leave a, you know, give us likes. Uh, check out the YouTube videos and uh, subscribe and drop a like there. Um, you know, do check us out and uh, uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We want to thank Critty Smith for their contributions to this edition of the City I Sit Down, a podcast of World Football Index. For Richard, I'm Frank. As always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Yeah.